0: Hey, here we are. I'm excited about my guest today because of how multidimensional she is. Sarah Elkins is a speaker, a writer, a consultant, a podcast host, a Gallup certified strengths finder coach, a professional musician. She plays the flute and is the lead singer of a rock band. So, yeah, she's a rock star too. Add that to the list. She's a world traveler and my favorite accolade of all, a storyteller. She's the author of the book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, which is also the name of her podcast. She joins me now from Helena, Montana. Welcome, Sarah Elkins.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me here, Mark. I'm excited to be chatting with you again.
0: Well, what what did I leave out? A unicycling magician? What, What else do you do?
1: Well, I get bored really easily. So I find ways to fill my days and I love to try new things. And so I just keep on taking on new things. And um, I guess you could include, I love to cook. Mm. And our house is always filled with music and good food and guests eating over. Um, so that's that's pretty important. That's a big part of what makes me who I am, is that desire and motivation to nurture and nourish people.
0: We. We are cut from the same cloth in in a lot of ways. Uh, I also like to cook. I actually am going to lead a uh, a like local community center cooking class in August. And uh, <gasps> now I'm not a professional chef, but I'm like the token American here in my town in Japan. So they're like, teach us some American cooking. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll teach you how to make chili and buffalo wings. So,
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's perfect. <laughs> Yep. Oh my gosh, that we definitely are cut from the same cloth. I mean, right. one of the things I did during 2020 was I, I'm Jewish, and there aren't a lot of Jewish people here in, in Montana. But <laughs> um, I did a Facebook Live making challah, which is that braided bread that Jewish people eat on the yes. Sabbath and on holidays. Yes, and I got so many um, comments and responses and saying, "Can you do this again? Can we do it in person when things lighten up?" and It's just, I love that. And one of the things that I did for some of my neighbors, people, especially with kids that were stuck in the houses, I made big batches of the challah dough, cut it into chunks, froze it, and then gave it to these families with instructions to either make challah or sticky buns so they could have that smell of fresh baked bread in their house.
0: That's awesome. So you don't pronounce it like "khala" or like, you know, that Yiddish. Uh...
1: You do. <laughs> like like a cat with something stuck in their throat. Right, like, right.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Sarah, I'm actually going to approach this interview, uh, at least part of it, probably most of it um, in a totally unorthodox way than I have any of my other 120 plus episodes so far. Uh, you'll figure that out in a second. Your your bio, your resume, your credentials, all are fascinating. And we'll talk about them as we go along the way. But they sort of sell themselves. I don't have to sell you. You're, you're already a fascinating person just on paper. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you're so, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you're already a rock star. And uh, so uh, I want to get to know you and give you a chance to stretch your storytelling legs, so to speak. Um, my concept for this episode was actually inspired by you. That is the first question that you ask your guests on your podcast. Tell me something people don't know about you. So I want to do a uh, kind of a whole episode on that. So I have a series of questions. They can be short answer or you can elaborate. Um, you ready?
1: Absolutely. Sounds like a great <laughs> challenge.
0: Here, here we go. They start off easy. It's like hot ones. You ever watch the hot ones? Uh, they, <laughs> yeah. they start out with like mild sauce and they get at the hot sauce. <laughs> <stuff? laughs> All right. Uh, number one, what was your first job ever?
1: Well, I, I tell people I was a babysitter and that was part of why I decided as a young adult not to have children I had <laughs> enough babysitting experience. But um, I think what is more telling about my first job is that I worked in a printing plant doing hand bindery when I was 13. I had special permission to work there because my dad was the vice president. What really um changed me by doing that was all of the people that I interacted with were blue collar workers. And my other friends that worked there were also children of the executives of the printing (laughs) plant. And people just looked down on us like we were really crappy because we got these jobs because our parents worked for the company, which meant that we had to work Harder. five times harder for right. anybody in there to earn even partial respect. Yeah. And I remember by the end of the first summer, we had created our own um, like assembly lines for some of the products that were coming through and finished so fast and so well that we had to take a couple of days off because they ran out of work for us.
0: <laughs> you, If you were being paid hourly, I guess you like, you lost money for being too efficient. Too
1: efficient. We totally <laughs> did. But, um, <laughs> And at the same time, suddenly the people around us were like, oh, oh, they're, they're actually working really hard. They're, they're working Mm. themselves out of a job (laughs) (laughs) basically. And so I remember um, really developing a a far deeper respect for people who were doing that kind of work. The the pressmen who were lifting these huge heavy bales of paper to put on their six color presses and, These people who were working on very, very sharp, um, big knife blades to cut
0: dangerous stuff, right? Yeah,
1: pages of paper, right? Really dangerous, and and they were so careful and they cared so much about the work they were doing. They had so Mm -hmm. much respect for my father and the their clients. So that definitely
0: changed me. Yeah, your story's so much cooler in that than mine in that you that you got like a valuable lifelong lesson out of it that changed you as a person. My first job was at Chucky e. Cheese.
1: No. <laughs> Talk about not wanting kids. <laughs> yeah,
0: but you got that right. <laughs> Cuz in fact, not, I mean, I was mostly a waiter like slinging pizzas on tables, but I I I got to be Chucky sometimes. I got to dress up in the oh. rat outfit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And you didn't learn lessons like I never want to have kids, and I
0: did. Food Wait, service but... <laughs>
1: sucks, and I need to get a degree so I don't have to do this the rest of my life. You didn't learn those lessons.
0: Oddly, I learned how to dance, and not because, not from the <laughs> actual experience, but from observation. I'll tell you the last time I had, I got to put on the Chucky outfit. I digress here, but just for a moment. So I'm wearing the Chucky outfit. For a birthday party, and I'm going out there. Nobody can see this, but you can see you can imagine how I was dancing, you know, in the Chucky outfit. And um, there was another character in the Chuck E. Cheese lineup called Jasper the Dog. And this uh other guy dresses up in the Jasper the Dog outfit. Now Chucky's supposed to be the star of the show, but I was like a 16-year-old kid and I'm just kind of bouncing back and forth. He comes out and he's like doing the the swim, the the wave. He's like he's I'm practically break dancing in the Jasper the Dog outfit. And I'm just standing there. Suddenly, I'm like this this morbidly looking, like, stoic Chucky just watching Jasper the doll.
1: Maybe I should be doing something.
0: Yeah, like, I should be doing so much more. And the kids are all dancing with Jasper. And I had this, like, wave of jealousy. I'm like, I'm the star. I'm Chucky. <laughs> and the manager, I can see through the little screen, the manager's watching this whole thing, like... We can't let him be Chucky again. So I never was allowed to be Chucky again. And I learned how to dance later on so that I wouldn't feel that way again.
1: That's a perfect story. Wow.
0: Anyway, so this would be about you, not me. Let's, let's move on. Um, <laughs> what smell reminds you the most of childhood?
1: Oh, gosh. Probably the smell of a good cigar. Oh, really?
0: Wow. I love cigars.
1: Me too. And um, I rarely, rarely smoke one because it goes right to my head. And then the (laughs) next day, the taste in my mouth is just disgusting. Yeah, that's true. I don't really (laughs) smoke them very often anymore, but um, I did in my 20s periodically smoke a cigar. But I think it's because my dad smoked a pipe and then cigars for a little while. Both my mom and dad smoked when we were little in the 70s and then quit smoking around probably 1975 or so when everybody started to realize how bad it was the secondhand smoke, especially. Um, but I remember we had this cigar box in the house that I think my dad gave it to me. And I remember opening it. I kept my little trinkets in it and Mm. it smelled like cigars. And so I smell that smell.
0: That's awesome. The, the humidor, the cigar box, when that really is definitely more romantic, uh, than my, uh, my smell, the smell that I came up with when I was thinking of that question was like, whatever material they make, like trampolines or parachute, oh,
1: parachute
0: pants, right? The, the kind of waxy vinyl polyester mesh
1: like,
0: <laughs> that takes me back to the mid eighties, like instantly.
1: Yeah. You must be just a little younger than I am because I remember that smell, but more from my teen years than my childhood.
0: Yeah. I was, I was still a, a youngster around that time. Um, <laughs> What's the longest line you've ever stood in, and what were you waiting for?
1: Oh, that is such a good question. I mean, my mind went straight to Disneyland and Magic Mountain in outside of l a because we lived in Chatsworth and we'd go there for my birthday and you know, special special parties. and um, but I don't think that those were the longest. It's possible the longest line I ever stood in was when I was waiting to get tickets to see the Rolling Stones.
0: Oh, wow. Did you get them? Yeah, I did. Nice, nice.
1: Yeah, and that was forever. That seemed like a really long time, maybe because I wasn't – there. the people I was watching were mostly sleepy or frustrated and – I remember being in lines in like Disneyland where everybody's just so hyped up on sugar that <laughs> you're yeah. just waiting. And it wasn't like they were patient, but it was more fun you know, right. to watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mine was, I, I stood in line for SNL for Saturday Night Live. Uh, I was oh. in New York City at the time and uh, you had to, the way they do it, it's like an all day thing because you, you got to go in the morning to get your like, I don't know, it's not your ticket. Yeah. Your ticket or your you're uh, waiting pass or something you go like at 6am or something just to get the pass oh. to come back at like four in the afternoon to wait in line <laughs> you got to have the ticket that you got in the at, at sunrise just to wait in line at four and then you wait in line and i waited in line and you can you can either go for the rehearsal they do a rehearsal before the live show and then okay. break and then they do the actual live show and they cut you know the rehearsals a little longer and I wanted to see the actual live one. So I waited in that line. And I waited for hours. And I get up and and they stop two people ahead of me. I was the third person in line. They're like, oh. we're full. And I was like, oh, find me a standing spot back there in the back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's when your Zen thing that comes zen in. Which, when you talk to Jeff Eichler on his um cultivating curiosity podcast you talked about one thing that totally struck me. I was out gardening today, listening to that. And you said, think when you're in line and you're trying to be patient, think about something you can do for somebody else. Yes. Did you do that?
0: Or no, were that, you that nowhere was...
1: near that place in Zen by right. when I, I you were waiting?
0: I wasn't there yet. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have that tool in the toolbox yet, uh, unfortunately. Bummer. Yeah, but I know better now. So um, what is something that you think, everyone should experience in his or her lifetime, you know, based on your own experience, obviously. What's well, something yeah. everybody should do at least once?
1: There are two things. One is travel to a place that you don't speak the language for a minimum of a month, if not live there for a minimum of six months, do a study abroad. Yep. And even if you study abroad in a place that, that speaks English, go somewhere else because mm. um it just it i just recently read that it strengthens your identity because when you're in a place far away from home in a place where you have to start questioning all of your beliefs that came to you through environment and nurturing nature whatever from your location that you grew up um you start to question all that and then you come back with a much stronger sense of who you are mm. so i'm a big believer in that the other thing is food service mm. Everyone should work in food service for at least six months because it definitely puts you in a perspective of, oh, um, I need to treat people with respect and dignity because they're just doing the best they can and yeah. they're not making my food. So maybe I shouldn't yell at them when the hmm. food comes out wrong. <laughs> so, oh,
0: yeah, or get, I've, I've done both those things. And actually, yeah, you you had my answer, which was travel. For more than like a weekend or a week, like go stay somewhere for a long period of time. But another great answer is the food service one. And because people who haven't worked in it for one, they don't understand tipping. They don't understand those people are making like two dollars. It's the only job you can have that you get paid less than the minimum wage. And
1: in some states.
0: Okay. Well, those all this, all uh, pretty much all the states I've lived in. Well, I don't know. I, maybe New York and California, they had higher wages. I, I didn't do food service jobs there. Ah, there I, I did go. in Alabama and Florida where you get paid $2. And, uh, um, and then just the constant running someone to death like, hey, can I get some more ketchup? Sure. And you go and you get the ketchup and you come back. Hey, can you also bring me uh, some mustard as well? Sure.
1: Yeah. Or the five people at the table, one asked for water. And you say anybody else, they say, no, you come back with the water. Suddenly two more people want water.
0: Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, they're just not thinking and not realizing that they're not your only table. Like, you know, so while you're running back and forth with that one table, this other table just got sat and I haven't even taken their order yet. You know, you know how it is. I agree. Everybody should do that.
1: Food service and or retail. I mean, either one, you kind of get that reality of people not being particularly nice
0: yes it's funny because i i'm agreeing with you everyone should do it and at the same time i hope i never have to have one of those jobs ever again
1: well that's just it you you learn so much in those jobs and yeah yeah, some people love it some people Mm. just stick with it they become lifers
0: Yeah. yeah um what do you love about being from and living in montana I'm fascinated with Montana. No negatives. Just tell us the good stuff. What's great about Montana? What's your favorite Montana story?
1: Okay. So I moved here in 1999 from Washington, D.C., and I'd never been here before. Okay. Okay. We had a six-month-old baby, um, so I didn't know anyone here. It took me a while to like it Hmm. because it's kind of clicky. But talking about all the best parts, I was just saying this to somebody who lives in Vietnam in in one of the big cities there. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, I live literally two blocks up my dirt alley, and I am on one of the natural, one of the largest natural city parks in the country, in terms of acreage. It's huge. I can walk ten or fifteen minutes up this the side of this mountain and not see anyone else on the other side of it. It's nice. It's it's wilderness, and yeah. um, we forget sometimes because we're so close to it. And then I'll see like wildcat paw prints right. or scat and i'm like oh there is a bobcat somewhere <laughs> in yeah. this mountain like so sometimes we forget cuz we're so close to it and i can walk four or five blocks downtown from my house that's built in 1890 mm-hmm. and i'm right downtown there's the library and restaurants and the movie theater and a, a world recognized um contemporary art museum mm-hmm. in a town with 30,000 people <laughs> so and on top of that, there's an amazing music scene here, which it wasn't like that when we moved here. It was about 10 or 15 years into it that this suddenly kind of blossomed. But there's live music almost every night of the week in different venues across the the city.
0: That's awesome. So is, your, is your band still active and playing a lot?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, in a few minutes after we get off the call, I'll be having a rehearsal with our bass player. My husband plays guitar and we do a trio that's mostly jazz and contemporary music oh, okay. um well contemporary jazz but 40s 50s some music and um like uh, um let's see Peggy Lee, Julie London, Sarah Vaughan, nice. Nina Simone, yeah. Just I love it and we're we're doing a couple of new songs we're going to work on a um the cold cold heart not the Nora Jones version but the original <laughs> the original and, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure some Nora Jones will creep in there because that's a version that I've listened to a lot, but I love to listen to a lot of different versions of a cover song that we're going to do. So I can kind of make something of my own out of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to try to sound like somebody else.
0: In fact, I don't like that on a cover song when it's, when it's trying to duplicate the original, I'm like, I've already got the original. I don't need you to just replay it. Right. Uh, So I love, uh, I, I won't digress too much, but there's, Uh, Everyone loves, you know, Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. Well, there's Mm an artist named Pete Yorn who redid it. And when you listen to the actual lyrics, I I know this is blasphemy, but I want to say Pete Yorn's version is better than Bruce Springsteen's because the lyrics are like they're they're cold. You know, Bruce is singing it like, you know, we're just dancing in the dark. And uh, Yorn is like, you know, and I ain't going nowhere. You know, right, I,
1: it's a sad song, yeah, right? It's, it's kind it's, of a dark song.
0: Uh, and when you hear his version, you're like, "Yes, that's what this song should sound like." So, yeah, yeah. I like that you're going to make it. No,
1: I think some artists even go there. They're like, "I think that version is better than my original." I've heard I, people say that.
0: I think I, I maybe I'm dreaming this, but I think I read somewhere that Bruce said Pete did it better. I I really do. Anyway, you should check out that sometime.
1: Yes, definitely. And talking about the best cover, listen to Madeline Peru's version of the Leonard Cohen song, Dance Me to the End of Love.
0: Dance Me to the End of Love. Writing it down now.
1: She does an amazing version of that song. And it was written by Leonard Cohen. And it's a story from the Holocaust. So it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And she just does she does a really neat kind of klutzmer version of it. Yeah. So it, it seems to fit better than when I've heard than his Leonard version. Cohen's version. So.
0: Well, this this is a good segue to the last thing here I, I do, because Leonard Cohen was actually a Zen guy, if you weren't aware. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> I watched a movie about him.
0: Yeah, he's a fascinating character, fascinating dude. Uh, each episode, I try to do a segment called Five Minute Zen, Just to give the listeners some down-to-earth practical advice to make uh, their day better, hopefully their lives better. Here's my question for you, Sarah. How can storytelling help someone find a sense of inner peace and tranquility? That is, I mean, does it? And why do you think that is? How can people who are not normally storytellers at least tap into seeing the world in a storytelling way? I
1: love that question. I worked with a client who wanted to be able to use stories um, to make his point when he was public. Uh, when he was having opportunities for public speaking, um, he wanted to be inspiring and he wanted meaningful stories, but he was afraid that his stories might sound like he was bragging. Yeah. And um, so we worked together for a few months, and it was great. We had such a good relationship, and he wrote me a beautiful recommendation on LinkedIn. It was really cool. But the thing that really struck me was. Um, he interviewed me on his podcast, which is about leadership. And he said, by working with me to identify daily stories, to look at his life through the prism of what stories am I making today, helped him become more present to his life. And that he was his relationship with his children and his wife had improved because of it.
0: Nice. Wow.
1: And then he told me a story about it. He was in the car with his daughter, and she was 14, I think. And he was taking her to soccer or softball or one of his one of their practices. And she was getting grumpy. And he remembered, I had told him, bring snacks, always bring snacks, because they're <laughs> always hungry at that age. And um, so he gave her a, a snack and he said, Eat this right now. <laughs> so she <laughs> ate it. And seconds later, she was back to normal, right? Mm. Cause she had had that sugar rush and she was, she was not hangry anymore. Right. And it was in that moment that he realized that he had been so in his head about work mm. and paying attention to the wrong things that he didn't notice her grumpiness until it got to, it, until it came through that bubble that he was in. Right. And Then he was able to really pay attention to her. And the rest of the drive was like conversation, real conversation, which, when you're with a teenager, that's, that's not super common. <laughs> yeah. And what he said was that it reminded him to be present with her because he wanted her to also have good stories.
0: Nice. That's beautiful. That's perfect. Let's, let's wrap it up there. That is awesome. Um, What else you got going on? Uh, You always got something going on. Is mm-hmm. Unicycling or uh magic. <laughs> app, how can people find you? Where can they buy <laughs> your book?
1: First of all, I'm just not that coordinated. So you will <laughs> rarely see me doing anything that requires that level of coordination. <laughs> um, well, you can find everything about me at elkinsconsulting.com. Okay. And what I'm really excited about right now is I'm really focused on my newer version of a keynote that I've been giving on storytelling, particularly with leadership or building advocacy through mm. your stories. And I did a version of it, my first kind of tweak to my storytelling keynote, back in January at the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth, Texas, and I started by singing. So I incorporated music. I've been a professional musician for, what, 12 years now, Mm -hmm. but this is the first time I actually really incorporated music into my keynotes as a major component in relation to storytelling. Because when you think about it, music really connects us on such a deep level. Yeah. And especially,
0: yes, especially the ones that tell a story. Like I love like folk songs like that, that take you from point A to point B, you know.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, biologically, we get connected through music Mm -hmm. and it turns out that biologically we get connected through experiencing stories together as well. So not everybody's going to burst into song and try to connect with people but they can tell a story everyone can tell a story so um, that's what i'm working on now is perfecting that i have a couple of keynotes coming up in the fall that i'm really excited to unveil this i may even play my flute on stage which is (laughs) terrifying to me because i played flute all through from second grade through eighth grade and then stopped cold turkey and started Mm. again in 2020 so that's okay that's like 30 something years i'm not playing my (laughs) flute so it's a little nerve-wracking but that's what i'm most excited about right now because i'm really eager to guide my audience Mm. on that story of how they can become better story sharers um, through the power of music and listening and stories
0: beautiful. So if people wanted to book you as a keynote speaker, uh they could find out that info as well just on elkinsconsulting.com. Absolutely. Okay. I will make sure that's in the show notes. Thank um you. well that's it folks. Go get the book. Uh what was the name of it again?
1: <laughs> Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will.
0: Yes. Go get the book, listen to our podcast, go to elkinsconsulting.com. Um And ultimately tell more stories. Uh, So anyway, after you go buy Sarah's book, do that first. Uh, And if you have $3 left over lying around, please help this show continue on its journey and storytelling adventure. Go to Zensamage.com and info on different ways to help support the show are right at the top of the page. Sarah, I could do this all day. I did not get to half of the questions I had. I knew I wouldn't, (laughs) you know, and I always overprepared, but I I had, we didn't even get to the halfway point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was so
0: much fun. Yeah, uh, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, Thanks so much for your time and your stories today.
1: Thanks, Mark.